We're going to talk about a sensitive subject this morning, and it has a lot to do with how the world perceives the church and its relationship to basically the entire world and its history, particularly in this country, and how it relates to how we treat people of different ethnicities or skin colors or um, races, if you want to use that word. And as we continue with our God Behaving Badly series, I want to address that sensitive subject for many people. This has come, this has kind of been under wraps for a long time, but the Band-Aid that has been over the subject of racism has been ripped off lately, hasn't it? You watching the news about the Charleston church suiting of a white racist that shoots up the church. We see the controversy over the Confederate flag and all the kind of division that's happening in the country where the southern states are, are going to the northern states. It's like, what's up? We fought a civil war over rights and all that, and now you're trying to take this away from us. And uh, We see riots when a white officer shoots a black person, and, and we see this continuing to go on and, and continuing to, to fester in our culture when we thought that, that this stuff was behind us. We thought we left all this stuff in the early 70s and late 60s during the civil rights movement. We thought that, hey, we elected the first black president, so it must mean that racism is gone now. And we kind of thought this, but we see just how, how much of an undertone there is in these uh, minority communities and the charge that liberals will make at the church that Christianity itself is racist or that God and the Bible are racist. And we're, we start to hear this being said more and more in the news media and amongst the press that they're claiming that the entire religion of Judaism and Christianity is racist based on what the Bible says about it. So if that is racist, then God must be racist. And that's the, the big idea that's being pushed on us. And the big idea that we want to look at this morning is answering that question is, is God or the church racist? We want to ask this question this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Father God, this is a very sensitive subject in many people's hearts. Most of us, if not all of us, carry some amount of prejudice. Prejudice that we've learned through media, prejudice that we may have learned through family members. Racism that we don't even really realize exists within us where we look down upon certain races of citizens because of their ethnicity or their legal status or their color or how they're portrayed in the media. So Lord God, I ask, Father, that you just touch and speak to our hearts this morning because the church of Jesus Christ is not racist, not the way you set it up anyway. But help us to recognize some of the things that has happened in your name throughout history. Help us to repent of our personal racism and help us hear what your spirit would say to the church this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I understand this is, again, going to be a very sub uh, sensitive subject for many people. So please stay with me. And the reason we're doing the entire God Behaving Badly series is twofold. And one... The first one, of course, is to bring peace to God's people by bringing the truth of God's word to bear on different situations in our culture. We want people and be able to be able to share people 
that the, with confidence that the God of the Christian Bible is not the racist, sexist, bigotist, homophobic tyrant that the media portrays him to be. That is the opinion of many people because all they do is watch TV and that's the way he is portrayed. And I also want to give you the ability to be able to a answer the critics of the faith that you might know. People that throw these kind of words at you. I want you to be able to answer them. The Bible specifically says that even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. That's in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. And the world through the news media and popular culture has several different accusations that they typically level against the church or people that you're out there working on the assembly line or working wherever you work or, or visiting with people in the community. They always have several accusations and I want to um, just attack and bring forth some of those accusations to you. Because all their arguments several around a couple of things. First, that God and the Bible are racist. They will say this, and they'll use the argument that the Old Testament focuses only on Israel, and that the God of the Bible tells Israel to commit genocide, to wipe out whole nations because they're not Israel, that Israel in itself was racist because they hated everybody else, and that the God of the Bible must hate everybody else because he told Israel to wipe all those people out. So they say that that means the God of the Bible has to be racist. And that the Old Testament God is only concerned about Israel. But if you've been reading the Bible at all in your life, or really I think any Bible quiz kid should be able to refute that pretty easily, shouldn't they? Israel is highlighted and followed very closely, that is true. But you have to remember the reason that Israel is highlighted and focused on so much is because the Bible isn't about human history, it's about his history story. It's about God's redemptive plan and showing why Jesus needed to come and save us from our sins. It does focus, on, indeed, focus on Israel. It said that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed and the New Testament is Jesus revealed. And we see him foreshadowed and, and see him in the angel of the Lord in several different spots in the Old Testament. So he's definitely there, but he's just not revealed until he comes to the New Testament. And the OT focus on Israel is to highlight God working out that plan of redemption. Not, not just to focus on that one mostly rebellious nation at the expense of others. So we see God's plan for all humanity throughout his dealings with Israel and the nation around us, and the nation around them. And we're going to look a little more closely at that later in the message when we talk about specific examples of God's love for all. Both uh, for all people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another way people will try to say the church is racist is to point out the action of the southern churches during the time of slavery in this nation. Now, slavery existed in the United States since its founding. Thomas Jefferson even said that it's a curious institution to be found among free men, the institution of slavery, and he was a slave owner. So the idea that slavery was only just a southern thing is false. However, the northern churches 
had several pastors rise up and start preaching against slavery and saying this is not God's will for mankind. How can we as Christians who have been set free from sin hold another man in bondage? People like Jonathan Edwards and then people during the Great Enlightenment would come and preach sermons against slavery. So the northern churches started to move away from slavery until it was outlawed along the Mason-Dixon line there. And the northern state, states um, totally eliminated it, but the southern states held on to it. And the reason that they held on to it was essentially greed, an economic reason. They needed African slaves to worship in their fields. Well, how come the pastors allowed that to happen? You ever question that? Well, they decided to, the southern pastors, I'm not even sure exactly which one came up with this or if this was just an old doctrine that they resurrected, but they created something called the Doctrine of Ham. Now, if you remember, Ham was one of Noah's sons in the Old Testament. They get all the way through the flood. They leave the ark. Noah plants a vineyard. Noah gets drunk from some of this stuff that he did. And he's laying naked. His son Ham walks in to visit his dad, sees his dad's nakedness. Some people believe he laughed and mocked. He went out and told his, his brothers. And his brothers, instead of laughing at it, actually walked back and covered their father's sin. And when Noah woke up, he heard what Ham did, and he cursed Ham. And he said, cursed be Canaan, he will be the lowest of slaves. And Southern Christians came up with this doctrine, I think, to quell their consciences about slavery because they said that Canaan uh, went to Africa and became African, so it was okay to hold them in slavery because they were the descendants of Canaan, which is incorrect. They were actually Canaanites were amongst the nation of Israel. And if anything, uh, Shem's relatives went down into Africa. So, or Shem's descendants went down into Africa. So it was a totally kind of made up thing. And it's interesting that social liberals will bring this up because one of the many reasons that this horrible bit of Bible twisting survived is because the doctrine of Ham came around at the same time that Darwinian evolution started to be taught and said that different species or different parts of humanity has evolved higher than others. So they also use that coupled with the doctrine of Ham to justify to themselves that we can hold people in slavery. It's interesting how those two things came together to justify to the people and then they would hire pastors that would agree with this. And I think the pastors, the southern pastors, if you want to look to anybody that that really perpetuated the slavery in the South, I would say it was the Southern pastors. I say judgment begins at the house of God. We always want to look at the governments. We always want to look at the sinner. We always want to look at situations. Judgment begins at the house of God, and it definitely begins with the pastor. These pastors sold out the gospel for 10 shekels and a shirt. Look that up. It's an interesting read in the Bible. They gave it up for 10 shekels and a shirt to make sure they had a job, but they did not preach the whole counsel of God. And 600,000 people died because of it. Not to mention the 500,000 people total that were kept in slavery. It was because of the southern pastors. It also split the church, the Christian church in America, along that, that Mason-Dixon line. And, we have, and you know, when you bring this kind of thing up, they'll say, well, the Bible says you know, slavery is okay. No, it doesn't. Not the slavery that you're thinking of. Slavery in the Bible was the Old Testament's answer to welfare. A person became so destitute that they couldn't 
uh, support themselves anymore. They could sell themselves into slavery for no more than seven years. They were not really slaves, though. They were paid for their services. And they would be set free in seven years maximum. So it was more of an indentured servitude than it was truly slavery as defined in the American South. It was also a mercy to prisoners of war that they would be slaves because every other nation on earth would horribly treat prisoners of war and generally sacrifice them to their gods in very horrible ways. So slavery in the Old Testament doesn't equal anything what slavery in the South equaled. So we have to keep that in mind. Another thing that from America church history that popular culture will point out is evidence that the church is racist are two Supreme Court decisions that were heavily influenced by Southern churches. The first one was a Dred Scott decision. Dred Scott was a slave that was owned by a captain in the United States Army who would go, who was traveling around as a physician, and he was owned by this physician. Well, Dred Scott landed in Missouri, which was a free state, and he sued to be set free. He said, I'm now residing in a free state. I cannot be held as a slave anymore because I now live and have residence in a free state with my master. And his master had kept him there while he went on another assignment, so he sued for his freedom. Well, the Supreme Court came out, and we know the Supreme Court can make some awfully bad decisions, don't we? The Supreme Court said that, no, indeed, Dred Scott was a, a property of his owner. Horrible decision by the Supreme Court. And it was heavily influenced, again, by Southern churches and President Harrison because he wanted to avoid a civil war. That was the political baggage that the Supreme Court was dealing with at that time. Another one was Plessy versus Ferguson. After the slaves were freed, you started to see different... Uh, you started to see signs down south that would say no Negroes allowed or no blacks allowed or no colors allowed. Whatever racial description they would give to that, they would put that on the, on the restaurant wall or, or whatever uh, business was involved. Well, the Supreme Court came out and said, well, that's legal as long as you have separate but equal. That was Plessy versus Ferguson, another horrible decision by the Supreme Court, that you had separate but equal. And they tried to, to use the right of association. This is one of the big reasons the 14th Amendment came about. These are just some of the accusations that the world throws at the church. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on people here. I'm just revealing some of the history behind some of this. And these are some of the main accusations that people throw at Christianity to make it sound racist. And they do have some points. People that have claimed to worship Jesus have done some pretty awful things throughout history. We have. But they, these are persons who claimed to worship Jesus. It's a part of a painful history that we should be always mindful of before passing judgment in our hearts about people of a different ethnicity. Because racism has no place in the faith that Jesus gave us. No place at all. So what's the truth? How should we, as Bible-believing, Christ-honoring believers in Jesus, see people of different colors, cultures, or ethnicity? Well, we need to see it as Jesus saw it in the way that God sees it. 
is that we were all created, all of humanity were created in the image of God. In Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then the Bible repeats itself of what God did. And that's very noticeable in Hebrew literature when it repeats itself. It's really trying to make a point there. It says, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see here that all of humanity, all of humanity regardless of your ancestry, was created in the image of God. All of humanity. The theological turn is imaginal day. It's a theological turn applied uniquely and only to humans, which denotes the symbol, symbolical relation between God and humanity. Furthermore, the Genesis account shows one more thing. We're all from the same two people. So when we show racism, we're essentially saying my brother is, is less than me, my sister. We are all from the same two people. And within our DNA exists all the races of all the people. I don't know if you know this, Bernie, but you have black DNA in you. Conrad, you have Hispanic DNA. Barbara Jean, you have Asian DNA. I don't know if you knew this. It's just a matter of which DNA is dominant and which one is recessive. There is actual medical cases where a black couple can have a white baby and vice versa. An Asian couple could have or who have been Asian for generations can have a white baby. It happens. Sometimes those genes just get stubborn and want to get and want to come to the forefront. We carry all the races within us. Adam and Eve carried all the races within them. So to, to hate people because of ethnic background or race is kind of silly because you're hating yourself because you carry that same exact DNA within you. And most importantly, to hate a person because of their race is blasphemy against God because he created them in his image. What right does the potter, or what right does the clay have to say to the potter, why did you make me so? It's blasphemy to be a racist. So let me just kind of show you where the different races came from. And I really hate the term race when dealing with this, but it's kind of what I'm stuck with because that's the modern word we use. There's only one race, the human race. It's just, as I said, it's a slight difference in chromosomes and DNA that make us white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever. It's just differences in our, in our DNA a little bit that makes us... Uh, a little bit different from each other. We're all one race. So when I say race, I'm not talking about that there are actual differences in people. It's more having to do with ethnicity and different tribal and people groups that we are talking about here. And they all came about through the Tower of Babel. If you remember the story in Genesis 11, right after the flood, the people sin. They just, instead of going forth, replenishing the earth, they all stick together. How many people know that humanity in large groups never does anything good? You can see that throughout history, too. Look at the cities. So you see that they, instead of going out, spreading out, and filling the earth, they decide to stick together. They disobey God and decide, well, we're going to build a tower, and we're going to go up and storm the throne room of heaven. We're going to go up, and we're going to talk to God personally. And they, build, they start building this tower, and, 
And I just wonder sometimes if God looks down from heaven and just kind of goes, just kind of gives that, that divine sigh and saying, man, I just wrecked the world. You think they would get it? So he goes, well, I told Noah, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore, at least through flood. And so let me do something different. So he goes down and he looks at this tower and he looks at them and he says, well, I'll teach them. Confuses their language. Gives everybody different languages. There are roughly right now in the, in the world, I think about 190 different languages of primary languages and then dozens of dialects of each language. So he goes down and he confuses their language. Now, but God did still have mercy on them. He didn't confuse the language, I don't believe, between a mother and a father or between the parents and their children. He allowed families to stick together. Families that probably, still, that probably had some of the characteristics of the different people groups that we see nowadays. He allowed them to stay together. So all these people, I can't talk to you, you can't talk to me. We're just all upset, we're confused, we're scared that, that God did this. So we all, all the people of different languages start separating from each other and start moving away from each other. Now eventually these people started moving throughout the entire earth. And we see a, just a little thing within one of the genealogies that kind of tells us exactly how the people spread out and why the ethnicities began to become popular. And it's in, it's in a genealogy. And you wouldn't think that you would find really great truth in a genealogy, but there is a really good hint of exactly how things happen. Now, it's a, it's a, a fact of creation science. Creation science deals with the Bible and, and looking at the historical record and trying to bring the two together. When the flood happened, there was... This was a, a worldwide flood. It was a cataclysm. It destroyed the planet, if you think about it. Some people believe we had Pangaea at one time, that all the continents were one continent, and then they somehow, like, they're, like the continents are lily pads on the ocean, drifted away from each other. No, they're connected. They're not just floating. We're not just floating around out there. Um, but when the flood happened, the Bible says that the fountains of the deep opened up. So a cracks formed in the in the plates, water shot up out of those plates. So some of those, after the water drained, some of those sank in the fountains. And some, so that raised up mountains over here and it created the ocean depths. Now post flood, all that water is continuing to run down into the oceans. Where there once was land bridges between North America and Europe and, and um, Eastern Europe and uh, Alaska, there were once land bridges there, and you could see it if you look at ocean topography uh, maps, that there are actual shallow areas in the oceans that could have actually been a land bridge if you took away a couple hundred feet of water, that you could have walked back and forth all over the planet. And so these people separated out, they went over to North America, they went to South America, they went to Africa and all these kind of things, and these people with these particular languages and ethnic um, uh, ethnic qualities, like they were slightly more dark-skinned, or maybe they had a Mongolian eye fold, they would settle in one place. They would also, you know, begin to intermarry with each other, and those dominant traits began to become very, very prominent in those people. For everybody in this room, we're all Caucasian, of Caucasian descent. We became more pale-skinned, while people who went to Africa became more dark-skinned. And this is how the, the quote-unquote races came to be. 
But we all came from the same two people. And just to kind of show you in the scriptures where I'm getting this from, the idea of, of the earth being separated from itself, you see it in Genesis 10.25 in one of the genealogies. It said that there were two sons who were born to Eber. One was named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. That's a very interesting phrase there, and it's witnessed again in 1 Chronicles 20, or 125. So we have, a, we have a doctrine, we have a testimony of two or three witnesses. So what does it mean that the earth was divided? Well, my theory is, is that, that land, all those land bridges got covered up, and you could no longer just walk to North America from the Holy Land. You could no longer just walk to South America or any of the islands, or Australia for that matter, because of the because the land bridges were covered up. I know that's just a theory, but it, it fits with the Bible. And if you look at the actual look at the maps of the world and the ocean depths and all that, it makes sense. That's why tribe and tongue is a better way to describe the different ethnicities. And that's the way it's described later in the Bible in the New Testament, why they kind of go away from the race thing. And they say why there's different tribes and tongues in the Bible, but not necessarily races. That's the big picture about races and, and tribes and tongues. Now let's look at some specifics of how God views all people. Let's look at the Old Testament view on race and ethnicity. If you read the Old Testament and you only see Israel, you miss the big picture of redemption. You, you totally miss it if you only see Israel. Remember, when you read the prophets, that the prophets were often sent to places outside of Israel. Obadiah is one. He was sent to Edom. Jeremiah and Ezekiel also list prophecies to Edom and other nations surrounding Israel. The major prophets sent warnings to, to everyone to repent, not just Israel. Assyrian was sent both Jonah and Nahum. Jonah to proclaim that there was destruction coming and Nahum to declare that it was finally going to come. And Jonah, to me, is the Old Testament proof of God's love for old people, for all people. Not just old people, but all people. I know we're going to put a statue of Jonah up outside the building now. But it is the Old Testament proof of God's love for all people. You remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is told, go to Nineveh and tell them that they're about to be destroyed. Now, if you remember the story and remember the timeline that Jonah existed in, Assyria was poised to take over Israel. Jonah exists, Jonah lives in Israel, and so he doesn't want to see that happen. He doesn't want him to repent. He wants God to wipe him up out. So he goes and heads exactly in the other direction, takes a ship and goes east towards Spain. So he's on this ship, storm comes, he confesses to the people on the boat, they throw him overboard. God provides a fish for it to swallow him. It's not a whale, it says fish. In the Hebrew, it says God provided it, so I believe it was a special order of creation, not necessarily something that we need to find today. But swallows him, Jonah repents, vomits him back up onto the beach, and he goes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh still hoping that God is still going to destroy it. And, but the city repents at his preaching. And that's where we pick up the narrative at Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, God, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled to Tarsus, because, 
For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Skipping down to verse 10. But the Lord said, You had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor have made grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And verse 11 shows the heart of God here for all humanity, not just Israel. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern their right hand and their left, and there is much livestock. You read a verse like this and look at the liberal media and say they have the gall to declare that the God of the Old Testament is racist just because he focused on Israel. He is showing mercy to one of the most sinful cultures who has ever existed. They were into vile idol worship, and not just idol worship, but vile um, idol worship that involved sexual immorality, homosexuality, child sacrifice, brutal treatment of women. Women were not even second-class citizens. They were slaves in the in the Assyrian culture and treated horribly. They were people that were, were taken in war, were tortured and used in human sacrifice to their idols. And this is why God was, or this is why Jonah was so angry with God, is because God was about to use this nation to judge Israel, which was bad at the time, but not nearly like this. He had the same complaint Habakkuk did. And yet God had mercy on them. And this is the best example in the Old Testament that God loves and offers mercy and forgiveness to all nations. Amen. And it's also why I still have hope for America. Because we think it's getting so bad out there, and it is. But God can have mercy. And we need to pray that God sends a Jonah to Washington, D.C., That's a sample of God's love for all humanity in the Old Testament. And it's the same love that we are to have for all humanity, regardless of how they look. Let's look, take a quick look at the New Testament. This is just blatantly exposed to us in the New Testament. What was Jesus' view on race? Well, his view is a biblical view, is that there is only one race. That's the human race. John 3.16 did not say, for God so loved the Caucasians that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say, for God so loved the black people or people of African descent that he gave his one and only son. He said that he loved the entire world. Therefore, if Jesus loved the entire world, who are we to do less? We say that we are Christians. That means we are Christ's followers. We are disciples. We are to do as our master did. You see it uh, in the scriptures when he had mercy on the Samaritan women. Samaritan women were, or Samaritans were almost the worst of the worst in a Jew's eyes. And yet he had mercy upon her and told her the way of salvation. He had mercy on the Canaanite women. If Samaritans were bad, Canaanites were even worse. They were just vile worship, worshipers of bad, of bad little G gods. And he still gave her 
her healing that she asked for. Jesus frequently traveled outside of Israel to spread the good news. You see it in the, when he went to the um, Gadrians and, and different places outside of Israel to preach the good news. And remember the great commandment that he gave us. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of America. Well, yeah, exactly. What does it say? All nations. Everybody say that. All nations. All nations. That means all tribes, all tongues, all ethnicities. We make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And the Holy Spirit even bears witness to that. We have the Spirit, the witness of the Father. We have the witness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to this when Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And why are we receiving power? So you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The whole triune Godhead is in this together to bring the gospel to all nations. Therefore, Racist thoughts and racism in our personal lives has zero place because the root of racism is pride, thinking that you are better than somebody else. You know, if you think about it, if you look at history, racism has caused more wars and human suffering than probably anything else. People will say it's religion. I say it's, it's racism at its core. Its root is pride and its author is Satan. And we as a church of Jesus Christ have to take a stand against the idea that God has any preference over any people. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.